Hello, Yay. everyone, and welcome to Lit. I am so excited to bring to you today George Orwell's 1984. And joining me today is Matt Smith. Welcome. Hello, people of the interwebs. <laughs> Hello, people of the interwebs. So what has been your experience reading 1984, Matt? It's been very depressing. And also, it's like disturbingly similar to our modern politics like it's kind of shocking how how uh, how much our modern politics is starting to mirror 1984 uh, especially with uh, just everyone's kind of like subjective attitude towards facts and how malleable they seem to be all of a sudden like this that- used to be two and two is four. you have people arguing over whether or not two and two is four just like in the book Right. But when they're, it's like political arguments now. That is so true. This book has come to really important political, cultural, societal relevance. It's absolutely crazy. And just to kind of give everybody a feel for it, if you've never read the book before, I'm just going to read y'all off the back of the book. So Winston Smith toes the party line, rewriting history to satisfy the demands of the Ministry of Truth. With each lie he writes, Winston grows to hate the party that seeks power for its own sake and persecutes those who dare commit thought crimes. But as he starts to think for himself, Winston can't escape the fact that Big Brother is always watching. Ooh, that gives me chills just thinking about that off the back of the book. Yeah, and it's very, like the parallels to our modern age could not be more apparent, particularly with Big Brother always watching you do have to worry about the government, but it's not just the government in our modern age. It's also, you just, you don't know who's watching, but you know people have access to devices, particularly with stuff like TikTok, you know, in their TOS, they have access to multiple devices as long as they're connected to your internet. And I like uh, that you brought up TikTok because this quote just reminds me of the whole book itself. Nothing was your own except the few cubic centimeters inside your own skull. That is genuinely how I feel. Right? Yeah. Uh, There there are things that, like, you just don't even want to say them out loud because you're worried someone's listening and you're going to end up on a list. Right. And whatever that list is, you don't want to be on it because you might get unpersoned or worse. Who knows? Well, we were just talking before the stream. I was telling you how uh, I'm getting a bunch of books on Audible and putting them on my wish list. And I'm worried that's going to get me in trouble. They're going to be like, oh, this guy's checking out some uh, little rebellious books there. Might have to keep an eye on that one. And that is a good plug for everybody to go get physical, hard copy books. I love Audible. I love listening to books. I have a very long commute. But... When they start doing the book burning, when they start censoring everything on Audible, which will happen sooner rather than later, sad to say. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely, well, they've already done that with the uh, words in the dictionary. Right. And uh, they're just, I mean, they're starting to memory hole stuff, just like in 1984. Like, it's, it's getting pretty disturbing. Are we going to try to go about this, like, chronologically, or are we going to be jumping around? Yeah, let's start going through it a little chronologically. That way we can have a little spoiler-free section for anyone who hasn't read it. And then we'll jump into spoilers after we give our spoiler warning. So for folks who haven't read it, some of the themes in the book include things like Endless War, Doublethink. That was was a term popularized in the book itself and now is like a huge part of our culture. The manipulation of language, rigid sexual customs, propaganda, 
education as a form of indoctrination, the destruction of his history, and consequences for not heeding the party line. So very much a totalitarian regime ruling this society. It's pretty scary. Yes. Very, very disturbing. And uh, I do like the, uh, the brainwashing process that they have. Like they have even the children are snitching right. on their own parents, which is stuff that took place in like the Soviet Union. You had uh, children that would snitch on their parents in similar cases like that as well. And uh, it's one of, one of the big things that the modern left is trying to do right now is break down the family unit having mother and father going to work all day. Ideally, they wouldn't even stay married, but if they are married, they're both gonna be working full time and the state's gonna have to raise your kid because you can't afford a private sitter, private education. No, let the state take yeah. care of it. Uh, this pastor that I really like, his name is uh, Body Bacham. I wanna say I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but he says, when you send your children to Caesar for eight hours a day, five days a week, should we really be surprised when they come home as Romans? I mean, yeah. that hits hard. Yeah, that's that's exact. Yeah, that's a really good way to describe it. That is what and, we're doing. And people aren't really paying attention because they don't have time to. Like these days, there's so much to keep your mind occupied with all other things, all kinds of noise going into your head. And a lot of people, it feels like, are, are treating their children like side projects these days. I mean, they really are. This idea that children are more like a commodity, more like an accessory to your life than the primary purpose of your life. And that's a huge problem we see in the world of 1984. So 1984, of course, circles around our main character, Winston. And for whatever reason, he's just not towing the party line. I mean, he's doing his job. He's working at the Ministry of Truth. But he's having some thoughts that maybe are not very savory, according to the party. Was it too far forward to uh, notice that he was he's been around. He's a little older. Right? He is a little so he's older. been around yeah. in the earlier times when the party was still like establishing its dominance. Right. And whatnot. So he, he's got some memory of kind of like how things used to be. Yeah. And and why like and that's probably that probably helps facilitate his uh his apprehension towards the party because like when people are born into the system and they're just going through the system it's probably a lot easier for them to control right. it but you'll still have a couple of holdovers he had the same thing with the uh the old guy that he runs into in yes. uh, when was that the pub the pub yeah yeah he kind of like he had some music like he had a little a little bit of the old world in him mm. and uh, stuff like that with the the lower class but what are they the proles the proles yeah they're yeah. not worried about them nope they're not worried about them but that's because you know they're they're so busy caught up in their own lives they're not uh, they're not paying attention kind of like what's going on with our modern culture yeah i like so that you brought up the social proles. media here is our uh, class hierarchy from 1984. So, right, you got the proles. Basically, normal people, right? They're the yeah. working class, middle class, lower class. They, they say uneducated. I don't know if that's yeah. necessarily true. I think um, in the book, they keep, mostly keep them distracted with, uh, with drinking and right. uh, just partying and, and, like, keeping to themselves. 
Whereas uh, in our modern times, they're distracted with social media and just media in general, movies, TV, whatever, false drama. Right. But the parallels are definitely there. It's really striking. And then you get to the middle class, the outer party, which is where Winston is. uh, And he's working at the Ministry of Truth. He's not part of the inner party, which is that elite ruling class. And we can... Technically, in America, we're not supposed to have a class system, but we basically have this class system. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. do. Yeah, we do. It's crazy. I'm seeing some folks in the chat. It's good to see some folks have read this book. Katie said, I read this in high school like a normal person. Good. <laughs> I'm glad you read this in high school. I teach high school. They don't teach this book anymore. Why not? Well, they don't teach a lot of important things in high school. Isn't that the truth? Like, you're reading a good book right now. You're saying everybody should read in high school or at some point in their lives, right? Yes. All right. So another thing Winston introduces us to is the two minutes hate. And boy, that doesn't sound like anything we do today. Not at all. It doesn't sound exactly (laughs) like Twitter or anything. Yeah, it is Twitter. It is exactly Twitter. So the quote goes, The horrible thing about the two minutes hate was not that one was obliged to act apart, but on the contrary, that it was impossible to avoid joining in. Within 30 seconds, any pretense was always unnecessary. A hideous ecstasy of fear and vindictiveness, a desire to kill, to torture, to smash faces with a sledgehammer, seemed to flow through the whole group of people like an electric current, turning one, even against one's own will, into a grimacing, screaming lunatic. 100% Twitter. Yeah, I do like that because psychologically that makes sense. If you want to build a coalition that's loyal to you, right? A great way to do that. It's like uh it's like in the US whenever the US goes to war, mm-hmm. the patriotism in the US and loyalty to the US always goes way up. If you give them a target to go after, if you give them something to take out all that built up frustration on, it makes it much easier for them to be on your side and stay on your side. I mean, that's a very good point. It's it's really sad, too, because we can see this two minutes hate in our culture, in our propaganda, and it's really consumed and divided all of us. It's sad that this book, which w- I feel like was meant to be a warning, has sort of become like a user manual for yeah. the cultural and political left. Absolutely. It's crazy. It definitely feels like they're just reading this like, oh, that's a great idea. We should try that next. Right. So do you it want to tell hurt us when you control a lot of the primary institutions? I love that. And that brings us to our next topic, which is the Ministry of Truth. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the Ministry of Truth and what he does there? Oh yeah, he uh he alters records on behalf of the party to try to make them look better and also just delete anything that would make them look bad. And, right. And controlling the history which Again, sounds very familiar to what's going on today. If you control the f- history, you control the future. Right. This quote. Yes, I love. I love that quote. That's like probably, it might be my favorite quote from the book. I don't know. There's a couple of top ones, but that one's definitely up there. We're going to be looking at a lot of quotes tonight because this book is just so quotable. And it. Yeah. Orwell, and I- Orwell's namesake has become like a slogan for just dystopian future like the he's got he was so good at describing it in this book 
that his own name is like used to describe dystopian futures. People say Orwellian all the time. This is what they're referring to. And I hate that the term Orwellian gets kind of overplayed, but in some of the things we see, it's very relevant. So here, history has stopped. Nothing exists except the endless present in which the party is always right. So he's basically literally throwing pieces of history down the memory hole, a burning fiery furnace, so no one can ever know it. And in Orwell's time, you actually had to write stuff down because he was pre-internet age. Uh, if he could have fathomed the internet, would you can change history like that? In oh real my gosh. time. In real time. I think it was, uh, who was it? It was Maisie Hirono, the mm-hmm. uh, senator from Hawaii. She said something about, impl- I want to say it was sexual orientation. She was grilling one of the Supreme Court justices and she said, I want to say it was sexual orientation, was like a slur. And the dictionary definition, like 10 minutes after she said that, change to can be used as a slur right. or something to that effect. And Ben Shapiro brought it up on his show, and so did a lot of other people. They're like, this is like 1984 right now. They just changed the definition of the word. and But they've been doing that to a lot of words. I hadn't seen one done in real time since then, but that one th- that was pretty striking. That that's pretty crazy. I think they've tried very hard to do that to the word woman since uh, Matt Walsh's documentary yeah. uh, to include people who identify as a woman, whatever the heck that means. I saw uh, someone post a, a Google search on uh, who can menstruate or whatever, and right, it was like the Google default text was like, "Well, anyone can menstruate, men, women, whoever." <laughs> Giraffes. I don't know. I know. Crazy. And that brings us to this point. Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. So the victors are always going to be the ones in control. And in this case, they're not using that control in a very nice or... History is written by the victors. This also, uh, it this makes me wonder, particularly about our educational system, like uh, it seems like everybody is well aware I have a little anecdotal story to go along with this. Everyone's well aware of uh, the Nazis and what Hitler did, but people aren't nearly as aware of what happened in the Soviet Union. And like we talked about before the stream, I'm going through the the Gulag Archipelago right now. And it's horrible. It's on par with what Hitler did. It's it's devastating what they did and the way they treated those people. I mean, absolutely nightmarish stuff, but... Stuff like that's not being talked about in schools. I actually went, this was uh, last year. It was around the anniversary of the uh, the death of the Romanov family. And I had just a couple days later gone on a date with this girl. She had a PhD in psychology. Wow. And uh, I was telling her like I was just rereading up on uh, the anniversary because it was the anniversary of the death of the Romanov family. And I hadn't read about it in so long. So I was like, okay, I'll read about this. She's like, I don't really know much of anything. I'm like, didn't you study this in school? And she's like, no. I was like, you have a PhD. How do you not know anything about this? That's crazy. But she went to public school. So yeah. And the public colleges are even worse about that, which brings us to the neighbors of Winston, the Parsons. And they're very good, you know, outer party members. The husband, Tom, is the ideal member of the outer party, uneducated, suggestible, utterly loyal, 
the wife uh, is kind of wan and hapless and scared of her own children. And we kind of mentioned earlier that the children were being indoctrinated. (laughs) Right. But they're being indoctrinated so hard that they're reporting on their own parents if they have even a single thought crime. What does that even mean? What, a thought crime? Right. Just, you know, saying anything that can be misconstrued as against the party is very interesting. Like the idea that you're not having, I mean, you look over in China, they're having, uh, they had sensors installed in a factory to monitor people's brain waves to look for, I don't know what they're looking for, but they're, right. they're trying to monitor the brain waves of their workers, which sounds very Orwellian 1984 type stuff. They don't want you even thinking anything bad about the uh, about the party, which is difficult to control, especially with the technology that Orwell gives them in this fictional universe. Right. So, but they're doing the best they can, particularly with the brainwashing and the indoctrination. Like the next generation will be much more in love with the party than the previous one. And it'll just keep cascading like that until all of history is gone and anyone who even comes close to remembering history is gone. It's really scary because we can see that in our own generation, how much, like we were just talking earlier before the stream about how much people used to know and how much they really don't know now, despite the fact that we have all of human knowledge at our fingertips. Well, look at at TikTok, look at YouTube shorts, look at all this stuff. Our attention spans like five minutes now. I mean, you can't, a lot of my videos, the longer ones, they don't get any play on YouTube. My short ones, the shortest video I made was like 30 seconds. It got almost a thousand views straight away. That's crazy. And I was like, what the heck is this? Because it probably got thrown into the short reels or something. And everyone's willing to watch this short stuff because they're not really paying attention. They're just like, oh, that was funny. And they move on. Right. People don't want to sit there and watch like a lengthy breakdown, which is very uh, discouraging for like the future of politics and whatnot because a lot of this stuff needs it demands longer explanations right it, it really does and so we've talked about the ministry of truth and how they're manipulating knowledge but that's not the only ministry here that they're dealing with in 1984 so there's four primary ministries there's the ministry of truth the ministry of love the ministry of peace and the ministry of plenty Now, at the very beginning, we kind of don't know what the Ministry of Love is, and we'll kind of save that for Hmm. once we're behind the spoiler wall. Uh, The Ministry of Peace is basically the defense, right? The military wing. And the Ministry of Plenty is the economic wing, basically keeping everybody impoverished and on ration chocolate. Yeah. Which I used to think was... Very much like the Soviet Union. (laughs) Well, and it's kind of like right now with our involvement in the war in Ukraine or whatever and how eggs and gasoline are outrageously expensive. I know. Probably going to get a banned stream for saying that, but who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's also no doubt lingering effects of the pandemic and whatnot, but still part of it. The inflation is outright. I mean, the government, they were printing money during the pandemic and, you know, we were complaining about it at the time and they're printing money now. And right, you would think that they inflation. would realize money the doesn't grow on The rich people will be fine, by the way, with all of this. The upper party, they'll be fine. That's right. They'll, the the inner party, they're they're good. Us, us proles down here, we're we're the ones who are going to take the hit. We're the ones who are going to suffer as a result of all their ridiculous spending. But they don't care. 
Of course they don't. And that keeps them in power and keeps us submissive. Yes. And keeps us more reliant on them, which is really sad. Mr. Zed very says, effective, though, unfortunately. <laughs> eggs. Ministry of Plenty is in charge of our eggs. So true, <laughs> Mr. Zed. So true. Which is why we can't afford eggs now. Everybody, go get yourself some chickens. Start raising chickens. I know, chicken. huh? Well, you can. Well, the government well, allows can. you to own chickens. Yeah, soon we'll, we won't own anything. We'll eat the bugs and we'll like it. Yeah, or they'll haul you off to the gulag. <laughs> right. Or the Ministry of Love. Oh, wait, we'll talk about that in a minute. Right. <laughs> mRNA and the eggs. Spoiler alert. I'm going to have to ask you about that oh, yeah. later, Dr. Bob. I think that has to do with, uh, there was a report that came out or a headline that I seen came out that said uh, a lot of these sudden heart attacks are a result of people <laughs> eating eggs. Okay. That's right. I remember seeing that. Yeah. Everyone oh, yeah. was circulating that around. And it's like, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Didn't they say it's, that like back in the 70s? <laughs> I thought we definitely knew not that jab that everybody got that no one knows yeah, what well, it does. Like. Eggs being bad for your heart or whatever was something that was debunked like years ago. So anything, you know, anything to uh, keep them from looking bad. Again, very similar to 1984. Very similar. And that brings us to the topic of Newspeak. So Newspeak is basically this language the party created to subvert normal concepts. It basically subverts reality. I like to think of it as po- political correctness. Yeah, I, well, I think it's actually quite brilliant because it's not just that they're twisting reality. They're like shrinking your vocabulary into as few words as possible because they don't want you talking. Because right. if you talk, you're going to think. If you're going to think, you're going to maybe exchange ideas. If you start exchanging ideas, you can become a problem. What's a great way to prevent all that? Limit the number of words you can use. What's the left doing right now? Limiting <laughs> the number of words we can use. That's a good Everything's point. Everything's a I... racial slur now. Everything's <laughs> offensive. You can't say obese anymore. You're going to upset a fat person. You, uh, what was the, there was a game uh, just recently that removed the word midget from their game. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Now. That was it's, crazy. Yeah. Or that song that got censored because it had the word spaz in it. Not because of all the other dirty words that were actually in it, but yeah, it had the word yeah, spaz. That's your new speak. You can say all the right. swear words you want, but if you use any of these other words, we're going to get you. That's absolutely right. Why? Because who swears the most? People who don't have much to say. People who don't have much intelligence to say. 100%. And... That's why I really like this quote. But if thought corrupts language, language could also corrupt thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it right there. If our language is always changing, then so is our thought and the way we think about things. I feel like the more I learn, especially as I get older, the more I learn, the less I understand. <laughs> but that's a, a humbling experience, I feel like, because you're recognizing how much there is to learn. There's like a bell curve of like, I'm really stupid and I think I know everything. And then you get over here and you're really smart and you know you don't know anything. Yeah. Well, it's also, yeah, particularly when I was younger, I really thought I understood people, particularly in large groups. And now that I've gotten older, I'm like, I have no idea what the heck people are doing or what they want to do. That is so true. There's so much 
contradictory nonsense circulating through the air, especially on places like Twitter and social right. media. It's like, what is everyone doing? I don't know. This is madness. It is madness. And that new speak brings us to DoubleThink. And you can see DoubleThink most clearly in the party slogan. War is peace, freedom is slavery, and ignorance is strength. I think you had some ideas about this. Uh, war being peace is... Uh, that one. That one's pretty interesting because, again, there's some truth behind it. Like, you, just look at real world examples and all the conflicts that the U.S. has found itself in. The second anything like that happens, what happens on the domestic side? We all drop whatever we're fighting about. Maybe not these days, but it used to be. We would all drop whatever we're fighting about. And uh, we would try to we'd try to come together as fellow Americans and, and work as a team. And now, I don't know, with, uh, with the modern politics. But it is true that, that there, it cultivates some kind of peace. And again, much like the two minutes of hate, if you're constantly giving your people a target, something to take out their frustration on, or a team to root for, like your own country, then right. naturally you're going to you're going to overlook. It's the same way, like people do with Trump. Trump's actually an excellent example of this. People overlook a lot of his faults because they generally like, you know, the bigger things about him, like his political positions. Mm-hmm. So they're going to overlook the what they view to be minor issues with him. And the same thing's true in uh, when you scale that up to like the size of a country. That's a good point. And that kind of brings up what Mr. Zed said. Large groups, no matter how good they are, will turn into a mob mentality and very quick and latch yeah. onto a figurehead. And that's really what we see going on in 1984. They've latched on to Big Brother, which is this very ambiguous. I don't even know if he actually exists. There's kind of a question about that. Oh, yeah. But he's... He's the one looking after everybody. And then there's the enemy, the absolute enemy, Emmanuel Goldstein. Yeah. It's like you have to have the Messiah figure and you have to have the devil figure in order to control the people. And that's the way the parties really managed to control people in 1984. Yeah, to great success. And uh, was it war is peace, freedom is slavery? Mm-hmm. Freedom and slavery yeah. is a uh, is a really interesting one because, and you know, not to go into spoilers, but it is brought up uh, the complexity of that slogan later in the book. But I'll just say, uh, without spoiling, that I think it personally, I think it's very interesting because if you think about it, the uh, a lot of the like inner party members view trying to say anything without spoiling <laughs> a lot of them view the idea of freedom is you're you're too vulnerable when you're free mm-hmm. and you're effectively useless not only are you useless to the party your existence is kind of useless right and uh there is kind of some truth to that uh strangely enough like if you look at libertarianism this is why people poke fun at libertarians all the time you can sit there and be like i demand my freedom Okay, well, five seconds later, a group is going to roll up and impose their will on you. And because you're all by yourself out there being a libertarian, it's your one person's very easy to dominate. So that's a good point. This whole demanding of freedom is slavery. Well, I mean, slavery can also be 
uh, freedom from their perspective because as you're part of the same thing with the Soviets, as you're part of this unit, this is why they like in the Soviet Union, they buried a lot of the crimes they did because it's about protecting the party. It's about protecting the unit. And that's more important than any individual lives lost. That's more important than anything else because if the party lives on, you live on and you're a force to be reckoned with in the right. world and in history. But and alone, you're us- just like dust in the wind. That's true. In a and certain very way. easily conquered. And that's why we need institutions like family, like church. Yes. Um, well, you also need, you need to come together mm-hmm. a- as a group and you need to agree on these like, these liberties and stuff. And I honestly don't know how you do that without some kind of religious framework to build off of. Like, I don't know how an atheist finds inherent value in a human life as opposed to any other life and how they kind of rationalize that. There's a reason that the American experiment was so successful for so long. Yes. Uh, Because when we were successful, we were built around the Christian framework. Now that we're trying to shed that framework, you notice we're losing a lot of that success. Yes. We had uh, politicians in the founding of the country like Washington and whatnot who had full right to seize absolute power. And he didn't. Right. But he could. I would, ne- I would be shocked if any politician today would do something like that. Like, gi- given the op- give them the opportunity for absolute power and they just say, no thanks, that's not a good idea. I mean, we can see that with these long-sitting senators who haven't given up the ghost yet. Yeah, look at them all. Even on the Supreme Court, look at what yep. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The one I mean, good thing she did was never giving it up, so now she saved all the babies. I mean, they got no one to blame but themselves for right. that. Because she should have stepped down. People should have encouraged her to step down. Same thing. At least Pelosi, it seems like she's finally coming to her senses. Like, I should probably get out of here. But, <laughs> After 80 years or whatever. Yeah. Well, that that's the thing. They get really addicted to this, uh, this power. And then the last one's ignorance is strength. Yep. Uh... I, I would definitely agree ignorance is peace. <laughs> <laughs> right. The less you know, the more comfortable you are because you don't yeah. have to worry about. <laughs> You're definitely a lot more relaxed. The, that's definitely something I've noticed as I've gotten older. You know, there was a lot that I wish that I didn't know. And uh, I'm, I kind of find myself envying people who aren't paying attention so much. But in terms of ignorance being strength, I, I guess I can see the logic there because... If you don't know to, if you don't think about uh, whatever the party's telling you too much, you're going to be a much more of an effective member of the party. Like if you just, if you don't think, you just do. Those are the kind of people they want, and that's going to get you places. So when they say ignorance is strength, they're like, don't worry about it. Don't think. I mean, heck, the modern left was saying that uh, quite a lot throughout the pandemic. They're like, just shut up and do what you're told. Don't think about it. We have the science for that. We have the Fauci. He'll tell you what to think. You don't need to think. I think it was who was it? it was either the Young Turks guy or uh, the H three H three guy. One of them said, "You literally don't have to do any thinking. That's what they're for," or something to that effect. Right. Like verbatim. And yes, in uh, in the authoritarian regime of uh, nineteen eighty four, that's exactly what they want you to do. It is exactly what they want you to do. 
And so one character we forgot to mention is Julia. So she's kind of like this young lady. Uh, She's kind of a picture of the party. She wears this red sash. She's part of the, what, junior anti-sex league, right? This whole regime is like anti-sex anything because they think once you have that connection, then you'll be able to have your own thoughts for yourself, which we'll kind of get into that later. Um, But while Winston is walking down the street, he notices her and he has this sudden fear of her that she might know that he's having these thoughts against Big Brother, against the party, uh, and is worried that she might turn him in. Is that a legitimate concern? I mean, it's very interesting because, like, the fear you can conjure up in your own head mm-hmm. is uh, is almost unlimited, and especially in a hyper-paranoid society like this, I mean, the sky's the limit on how... I mean, we were just talking five minutes ago... His neighbor's wife, she's afraid of her own children. Right. Because you don't know, like, who's... And you don't know what you're giving away. Like, I think he even mentions there's, like, you know, a small corner of your mind. And that's basically... That's all you've got in terms of... But even then, you know, the eyes are the windows to the soul. People might be able to peek in there and see something. Or you might let something slip. Not just in front of someone else, but the, the telescreens as well. I did hear some theories that uh, I thought were interesting. I, I don't know if I quite buy it, but uh, mm. some theories that Julia was a, a party plant. Oh, she interesting. Was a, uh, yeah, she was like a double agent trying to get Winston caught. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting. And we'll see more of why people think that as we go along. But I thought that was particularly interesting because she does take a particular interest in Winston. She does. And that kind of brings us to the limit of what we can say before the spoiler warning. So we're going to give our spoiler warning now. Any last minute thoughts you want to give to the audience before we say, hey, go read the book before you listen anymore? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, go read the book. Honestly. Yeah. There's uh, everything else is like, yeah, the parallels to the modern day and age are, are very shocking. Right. I usually don't talk about politics too much on this show, but this book brings up so much of what's going on currently in our political sphere, in our culture. It's super relevant. Yeah, you might have had to read it in high school and you didn't like it then, but I promise it will be impactful now. So take the time, go read it, and here's your spoiler warning. Let's get into it. How about that ending? Was that crazy or what? (laughs) Right. You think they killed him? They had to have, right? I don't know. Well, I had heard, who was it? I want to say Michael Knowles said, he's like, I don't think they killed him. Maybe not. I was like, I don't know. So, so let's catch the audience up. So he sees Julia and she like trips in the street and slips a piece of paper into his hand. And yeah. strangely enough, this paper, piece of paper says, I love you. Right there. Party plant, 100%. I would have crumpled right. that up, thrown it in the memory hole. Didn't <laughs> memory see nothing, hole don't know nothing. Like, how stupid can you be, right? Yeah. Honestly, that, that did make me super suspicious of her because that was my first thought. When, uh, right. But then, obviously, their relationship progresses to like, wait a minute. This is some, like, super 
double agent stuff if she actually is a plant. Right. But I mean, when you're part of the party, you know, what you want. Yeah, sacrifice. I mean, that's true. And she is, she went through like all the indoctrination stuff. You know, she, she has the little is. sash or whatever from the anti-sex league or organization. What she represents for Winston, and at least I think for us, is that she is rebelling against Big Brother. She is rebelling against the party. Yes. Uh, and so they kind of start this torrid affair. Though I, w- I wouldn't necessarily call it love. I don't know about you. No, yeah, it doesn't seem very love. I think he's just in love with the idea of rebelling against the party more so than anything mm-hmm. else. He's like, he knows that this is something that they don't approve of, and that's what he's more interested in. He does try to, uh, I think, d- deepen their relationship, but she's just not that keen on it. She just right. wants to have her little fling or whatever and just mm-hmm. carry on. Whereas Winston's over here having these deeper thoughts right. and stuff about the party and about his place in the world and where is all of this going and, you know, how long can we keep this up before we get caught? All that, all normal person stuff. And she's just like, eh, when they catch us, they catch us. <laughs> right. I like that what he says uh, during their time together, perhaps one did not want to be loved so much as be understood. And I think that's what he really wants from Julia. He wants to be understood. He wants her to care about what's going on with the party and what he sees. But she really doesn't. Like you said, she wants her fling. She wants her little bit of rebellion. And that's about it. Yeah, there's, there's not a whole lot of depth to her character. I mean, certainly not compared to Winston. Like, we just get, right. you know, the snippets of them together. Not to say that her character isn't, it's fine. It's not, like, bad or anything. It's just kind of, all right, now what are we doing? Right. Now what's going to happen? When are you guys going to get caught? I was waiting for that the whole time I'm reading. I'm like, so when are they going to get caught? <laughs> right. And uh, turns out they were being watched the whole time, which shouldn't surprise anyone. Because I was thinking that, too. I'm like, they got telescreens everywhere. You're telling me they don't notice when he's gone for these periods of time all of a sudden? Right. You would think you they would notice. You gotta give Big Brother a little bit more credit than that, man. One of the things I do like that Julia does is uh, during one of their meetups, they meet in this upper room of that old antique shop. Oh, yeah. And she brings a bunch of luxuries like real coffee, real sugar, real bread and jam. And yeah. it's just kind of crazy to think of those things as being luxuries things we take for granted every single day um, yeah well, i know we were just talking a minute ago about eggs being kind of a luxury right yeah now. well also i've just been going through the what is it like 16 hours now of listening to the gulag archipelago so yes eggs and bread are very much a luxury it, they really are a lot of the simple stuff we take for granted like based on the situation you're in particularly a dystopian hellscape from an authoritarian regime stuff as simple as eggs and bread and just food is a, it's a big deal well and you know what is simple but also delicious is north arrow coffee i know probably ha, a terrible real transition coffee. real coffee real coffee the best coffee and it is pro-life coffee so these people donate 15% of their proceeds to pro-life charities. It is delicious coffee. You can get some to put in your own lit mug. Go get that in the Hawkhound shop. Um, I can't recommend it enough. I think I gave you a whole bunch of bags of this coffee. You did, over and Christmas. it's awesome. I'm still drinking it. 
good. I'm so glad you like it. It's hands oh, yeah. down my favorite coffee. So yeah, I'm going to be ordering it from now on. <laughs> there you go. And you could use code HawkHound to get 10% off your order. So go do that. I know, weird to throw in a little ad when we're talking about such depressing stuff. Excellent. But that coffee is so okay, good. Yeah. You're talking to. about real coffee and then it's like, oh, hey, by the way, here's some real by coffee. By the way. Nice. Uh, one day I'll be an expert at those little ad yeah. transitions. I don't know. I've seen some pretty janky transitions from the <laughs> Daily Wire guys. So right, Matt Walsh is just like, oh, I'm gonna He's read. Like, oh, now. here's the thing. I don't care. Give give us your money if you like this show. Got to keep right. the lights on. Uh, thanks, Good thing Crowder Seth. never does ad reads, right? High five. Oh boy, <laughs> we're not gonna get into that on this stream. <laughs> no, I'm just gonna poke at him. Yeah, Maybe Katie and I are in competition for the Segway department. Katie has some really good segues on her show, which, by the That's way, reminds good. me, you should go listen to Overruled on YouTube. Her show is awesome. Um, but back to 1984. So they're in this upper room. Uh, they kind of notice this rat poking its head through a hole. And Winston hasn't, like, apoplectic fit. He is so afraid of this rat. Um, oh yeah, he has a very deep and abiding fear of rats, which I'm sure isn't going to come into play later in the. Uh, oh, definitely the not. As soon as they did that, I'm like, uh huh. Okay. Uh, right. See where uh-huh. this is going. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, yeah. I mean, people have like uh, you know aversions to stuff. It wasn't so like out of. It didn't take me out of the story or anything, but it definitely right. felt like they were setting up something for later on. It's like, oh, by the way, he's really afraid of this thing. Right. That's one of the things I kind of like about Orwell is he's not hiding the ball. Uh, You know exactly where he's coming from. Uh, But he does it in such an artful way that you kind of don't notice. Like when we talk about O'Brien, we haven't really gotten to talk about O'Brien much. Um, But he's this character. He's uh, part of the inner party. Winston really looks up to him for some reason, even though they've had really no interaction he is Winston is convinced that O'Brien is a thought criminal and that they're on the same page. And one of the things that helps them with this conviction is when Winston's friend Syme goes missing or is unpersoned. Yeah. So basically erased from existence. And O'Brien kind of asks Winston about him, which is you're not supposed to talk about unpersoned people. Yeah. And then he gives him a book, which is hands down the most boring part of this book. The Goldstein book. Yeah. The Goldstein pamphlet. Oh, no. Oh. Yeah, that was lengthy. We're not going to talk about the Goldstein pamphlet because it really was the driest Thank part goodness. of the book. Thank goodness. Yeah, we don't, we, don't need to, we don't need to go over that. Uh, what on, I the, will on the say. subject of O'Brien, though, I did like when, uh, when they nabbed Winston and O'Brien walks in and he's like, they got you? And he's like, they got me. A long right? time ago or whatever he's like or yeah it was something to the effect yeah. like they got to you he's like they got to me a long time ago and then it's like oh yeah he's not here as your friend buddy yep <laughs> that whole moment when winston is like oh no that's yeah. the thing i think julia was the red herring and o'brien was also a red herring for the opposite of each other julia was honest and o'brien was the, gonna be the actual traitor yeah you know that's a good point i never thought about it like that you might be right because that it seems to line up like that when we're first introduced to julia my initial impression is she's trying to trap him or like you know get him caught with the she's an agent for the inner party she's she's trying to set him up and then 
as the story progresses, I'm like, okay, maybe not. But then right. with O'Brien, it's like, although honestly, I didn't know what Winston, Winston's like, you know, kind of getting all this stuff like, oh, we're kindred spirits or whatever. And I'm like, I'm not really feeling it, Winston. Right. But, I, okay. I, I didn't know where he was coming from. I think, again, that goes back to that quote. He just wanted to be understood. Yeah. He just wanted someone to get it and have some kinship with someone. And I that's think the- it's all- Go ahead. Go ahead. I think it's also that uh, he wanted to believe that there was like a coalition, that there was something. There had to be more like right. him. It couldn't just be me, right? There's got to be more people out there that feel as I do. There has to be, you know, a group of people wanting to fight against this. Right. And, maybe, and that also can delude you into like a, a hope that one day the regime will be overthrown if there's enough people like me. So. I get, I can see it like a, a desperate kind of hope that there's more and there's more people like him, and eventually this regime will be toppled. Right. Of course, we know how the book ends. <laughs> of course, we do. And that brings us to the Ministry of Love. What is the Ministry of Love actually? It's where you learn to love Big Brother. And, yeah, you're uh, just going to learn to love. Yeah. In a very well, that's, way. But that is the goal, right? That's <laughs> yeah. what O'Brien says to Winston. He's like, by the end of this, you'll love Big Brother. And mm-hmm. by the end of the book, the last words are he, he loves Big Brother or he finally right. loves Big Brother, which that just, oh man, that was brutal. It was so brutal. And I was I was conflicted on that ending too, because I'm like, does he love Big Brother or does he love the idea that he's hoping that guard behind him is going to put a bullet in his head? Well, that's and an he just loves point. the idea of the release of because he seems miserable by the time he's through all of this. Right. But, I wonder and, if he loves Big Brother because air quotes Big Brother saved him from the torture. Well, yeah, that's like uh, when he's with O'Brien, and the second O'Brien turns off the dial, he's like, "You're my best friend," or whatever. Like he right. he feels this uh, compassion towards his Stockholm syndrome, basically towards his uh, his torturer Tor- because right. just the alleviation of the pain is uh is enough to make him feel that way and he's been tortured for so long like he doesn't even know how long he's been being tortured for just to give our listeners and our online viewers a glimpse of that have you seen the movie of 1984 before you know there was a movie there is a movie it's actually a very good adaption john hurt plays uh winston uh the guy who plays O'Brien is a stone cold killer. Oh my gosh. His delivery is crazy. But I'm going to show this little clip uh, of that last scene because it it really got me. Oh, not the rats. Not the rats. Not the bees. You knew they were coming back. You knew the rats were coming back. How can I do it? In the prototype, you hear it now? They will attack a baby and within five minutes strip it to the bone. They also attack the sick and dying. They show astonishing intelligence in knowing when a human being is helpless. Starving brutes will shoot at you like bullets. 
Sometimes they attack the eyes first. Sometimes they burrow through the cheeks and devour it. I feel so bad for him through this whole thing. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. That part when he says So that's when they really get him is yeah. when he screams do it to Julia. So I think You know what I was great. thinking? When we got to that point in the book, mm-hmm. I was thinking if he had just shut up and because earlier O'Brien says, he's like, what haven't you betrayed or what haven't you given up? And he says, try. And I understand kind of why he said it. Cause it's not just him telling O'Brien what for right. it's also him like reassuring himself. Like there's still this part of my heart or my mind that they couldn't touch. But say it in your head, dude. Don't say it out right. loud. He says it. He's like, Julia, I haven't betrayed her. And O'Brien's and like, of course. that's true. And then he leaves. He's like, <laughs> he's like sitting there thinking to himself, we can fix that. <laughs> we'll fix that right now. Right. Uh, it, it's oh, really man. terrible. But throughout his torture, he's constantly interviewing O'Brien to just understand why you know why are they doing this and one of the things o'brien says uh is really sad if you want a picture of the future imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever like that's not comforting like why is he doing this so this is probably my only major criticism of the book entirely and i i will kind of let it slide because I understand that the party is supposed to be an archetypal representation of any kind of fascistic regime, but he, O'Brien's justification is uh, power for power's sake or like why the party does what, because he asked Winston and Winston keeps giving the wrong answer. He's like, you think you know best how to run our lives? And he like shocks him more. He's like, no, it's because right. of power. All we want is power and more power. It's super power, extra power. And uh, <laughs> power on steroids. Yeah, I, that's that's too mustache twirling villain. Like, right. A lot of the most horrible things that have been done throughout human history have been done by regimes where the people working in those regimes thought they were the good guy. Like everybody needs. Like if we're being honest, everybody needs justification for their actions. Right. But I know Orwell wanted this to apply, not just to like you know a, a communist dictatorship it could also apply to like a fascistic nationalistic society. Like it could apply to multiple things because both of, in both of those cases, they want power and they feed off right. power and expanding governmental authority kind of lies at the heart of that. But they always have some kind of stupid justification that helps them sleep at night. Right. Like opian vision. 
Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Stalin's whole thing is that he wanted to create a utopia. He thought he was doing it for the good of the people. Obviously, that's not what he was doing, but they have this hyper-rationalization. Yeah, and whether or not he believed it, the people working in the Soviet Union, they definitely believed it. This is is the credit that I try to give to the left and the Democrat Mm -hmm. Party. Like, you could tell me that Nancy Pelosi doesn't believe the BS that she's saying. I'm like, 100%. Okay, but the foot soldiers do. Okay, you look at people like AOC. She kind of buys the nonsense that she's saying. That's why she's so whacked out. And that's also why she would go on the attack against Nancy Pelosi. And Nancy Pelosi had to rein her in. But she was like flying off the handle when she first came on the scene. Now they've kind of, you know, shaved off the rough edges, it seems. They've got her kind of more in her place. But still... When people believe that stuff, they're much more passionate about it. And I don't hold anything against them for that because they're being lied to. Right. You know, it's not their fault. They're just ignorant. Well, it's, you know, kind of their fault, but it's like, it's understandable. Right. It's a difficult place. And when we get to the end of the book, Winston goes through all of that torture and he's finally set free. And you're right, towards the end, he's learned to love Big Brother. And then there's the question, did they kill him then? Did they not kill him? I think they killed him. Yeah, I feel like they would have killed him. But it's also, so I had seen this this really great and terrible movie called Silence Mm -hmm. uh, with, uh, who was that? Andrew Garfield and uh, Liam Neeson. Mm. And uh, it's it's a very it's a very rough watch, but uh, they're basically having an inquisition on Christians, and I want to say it's in they're Catholics. It's in uh, like Japan or something, and they would round up the priests. The priests they wouldn't kill. They wanted right. to turn the priests against their religion and have them out there uh, preaching against the religion. They wouldn't kill the priests, oh, okay. but. They would kill regular Christians. Mm. So, but as like a method of control for the population, that actually made quite a lot of sense. And mm. I kind of saw that in 1984 as I was reading it. I'm like, they would draw these people up on stage after torturing them into submission. Right. And then they'd be like, now confess to your crimes. Let's do the two right. minutes of hate and everything. And then we'll cast them aside. But if you leave someone like Winston alive, he can be out there as an example of like, yeah, we don't need to lock him up. We've defeated him. We've conquered his mind. Mm, that's a good point. They don't want any martyrs is the big yes. thing. They don't want. That's definitely what you don't want, especially if you're trying to keep a lid on people. But I don't think Winston's talked to any. I mean, he talked to Julia when he got out and he's like, I betrayed you. She's like, yeah, I betrayed you too. <laughs> it's like, like, we done yeah. effed up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, well, this is. sucks. All right, see ya. <laughs> So after all that, what is everybody's thoughts on the book? So let's get some questions for chat out here. What do you think is the most impactful or relevant quote? What do you think, Matt? What is your Uh, go-to quote? hmm. I really like the the every painting has been repainted or uh, every book has been rewritten. History has stopped. Nothing exists but the constant present in which the party's always right. Oof, that one hits. That one definitely hits. Yeah, I like that one. And then, oh, I think I had a couple saved. 
that I really like. Oh yeah. From the the point of view of the low, no historic change has ever meant much more than the change in names of their masters, which mm -hmm. I thought was really, I mean, if you look at revolutions all throughout human history, that is exactly right. Like the lower yeah. class, it doesn't really matter who's in charge. I mean, things might get a little worse, it might get better, but for people on the bottom of the food chain, like all this promise from all these people like, we'll liberate you, we're equality, all that stuff, that never happens. It never it has happened. It's never going to happen. They just want power and they want you to be their useful idiot to get it. It's so sad how that's true. It is kind of unfortunate. In that same vein, my quote pick, I think, is this one. How do we know that two and two make four or that the force of gravity works or that the past is unchangeable? If both the past and the external world exist only in the mind and if the mind itself is controllable, what then? I think that I goes to, that. right. I think that goes to the huge subjectivity that's conveyed in this book and yeah. really throughout our culture. The left is trying so hard to make all of reality subjective because once it's subjective, you can manipulate it. If well, it's yeah. fact, you can't. But if it's like no this whole men can fact, be women thing, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, men can have periods and men can get pregnant and all this stuff. It's like, right. since when? <laughs> since when? And then since the party says so, it's O'Brien, I think he says in that same scene, he's like, I could be a bubble floating around the room for all you, for all you know. And if I say it and the party says it and you're forced to say it, then it might as well be true. And yeah. he's right. He is I right. mean, at that point, we can just say whatever. And you saw very similar things within uh, the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. Like these authoritarian regimes, they, they decide what's true, particularly when you're just burning books and altering history. That's true. Uh, Mr. Zed said his favorite quote is who controls the past controls the future. Yeah. That one gets me. Um, yes. He also mentioned this when you have absolute power, you keep absolute power by giving those closest to you because they will keep you in power because you give them things. That's like if you win the lottery and you give all your family a bunch of stuff, yeah, but then they just want more stuff. But then they just want more stuff. You become uh, leeches. I wonder if that's kind of the point. You have those leeches, politically speaking, to keep you in power, like the AOCs of the world. Yeah. She is kind of a leech on society. She is. I mean, that's kind of, that's effectively the uh, the socialist ideology, right, is you just get paid to do nothing, and yeah. capitalism is somehow some sort of ripoff. Like you've been tricked out of your own money. That's always the uh, the way they talk about it. Right. Rob brings up a good one. If you want to keep a secret, you must also hide it from yourself. That's the thing Winston really struggled with. Like he had yeah. his little corner. He could write in his diary. Um, but he, he couldn't keep it from himself and he, he couldn't keep it from Big Brother. Yeah, I definitely couldn't keep it from O'Brien. It was driving me crazy. I'm like, dude, this is a 101 class on how to lie. O'Brien asks you, he's like, if the party says I'm holding up three fingers or five or whatever he says, it was the incorrect number. Right. He's like, how many fingers am I holding up? He's like, you're holding up four because that's what you're actually holding up. It's like, dude, you know what he wants. This, right. isn't, this isn't brain surgery. <laughs> I mean, right. it was later on, but uh, yeah, it just... Yeah, he might not believe you the first time, which he didn't. He did try to lie, right. and O'Brien didn't believe him, but it's like you're supposed to just work on that. You That's just right. Need to, 
This is all this torturing should be you learning how to lie better. So true. I think we're going to have to cancel Britta. She has never read 1984. No. Canceled. Send her an audiobook link. That's right. We're going to send you an audiobook, Britta. No worries. <laughs> all right. So, our next yeah. question for the chat is What makes Winston unique in how he thinks about Big Brother? Why is he the one thinking these thoughts? Why aren't there more people? thinking, hey, maybe Big Brother isn't exactly... I think it's the futility of the situation. I think other people may have these thoughts and they just don't, they don't do anything because what are they going to do? Right. You know, you saw what happened to Winston. This is what they anticipate. And this is particularly, as I said, not to keep calling back to the Gulag Archipelago, right. but I'm right. Re- I'm it's relevant to it right now. So, but people would get round up in the middle of the night. They would go collect people. And because they had to make a quota, it didn't matter if you committed a crime. The uh, the government organization, they had to make a quota of how many arrests they needed. So they're just going to go pick you up. And they're going right. to torture you until you confess to some sort of crime, sign your name, they'll take you out back and shoot you. But yeah. they, need, they need to make that quota. And they're very intimidating when they do it. And they do it in the dead of night and people are just gone. And your neighbors are like, oh my gosh, they... They, surely they must have done something wrong, right? That's not right. going to happen to me. If I keep my head down, I keep quiet. I don't like what's going on, but I just got to not make a lot of noise and I'll survive this. And my family will survive yeah. this. I like that you brought that up because we kind of saw a microcosm of that when it came to the pandemic. Uh, the people who wouldn't get the jab, who wouldn't wear the mask, who didn't want to follow all of this, the mini totalitarian regime we had during that time. Yeah. Got in trouble, lost their job, lost their friends, and everybody else who just went along to get along was like, like you just said, if I just hunker down and survive this, I'll make it. Do as you're told. Right. You have nothing to fear if you have nothing to hide. I mean, it. people, like, when the, when it's time to actually, like, stand up, a lot of people are not really willing to stand up, and that that's, like, just a harsh a harsh reality of like how humans are. We all would like to believe we're the brave hero in the movie, but the truth is most of us aren't. Yeah. That's a good point. And I like what Katie said. There are more people thinking it, but just like the recent pandemic, no one wants to be the first to take off the mask, but will happily take off their mask when they see you with that one. Like you just said, everyone wants to be brave, but no one actually is. Yeah. It's too bad. There's also just like the social pressure keeping you in line. Yeah. That uh, not it's not just the regime. It's it's your community. It's your neighbors. When that's your all community and your working together, particularly in 1984's world, Big Brother's watching you 24 seven. Right. You know, you you so much as say something that sounds like you might be out of line, you might get reported for that, and you can't trust anyone. This is a, another parallel problem to what we're dealing with right now we're so disconnected and fragmented as a society. Like most people don't even know their neighbors' names. Yeah. And they're so like, of course your neighbor's going to snitch on you. They don't know you, you know, why the heck would they risk their family? For someone they don't know. Right. Yeah. It makes me wonder. I mean, obviously it's intentional. It has to be to have disconnected us from our community so much. And now, like you said, we don't even know the people who live next door to us. So if it's not intentional, it's, it's very lucky coincidence. 
Right. But I mean, you look at all the all the devices that we've developed to disconnect us from the world and distract us from everything we do. I mean, heck, I have a hard enough time reading one book with my day to day life. Right. You know, it's just there's so much there's so much input. I get home from work. I'm reading the news. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Before you know it, I have like maybe an hour at night to get into a book and that, and then some nights I don't even have that or I'm just too tired. And then the next day, all kinds yeah. of input from all kinds of sort. Oh, my favorite podcast just came on. Oh, my favorite show just came on. Right. And it just keeps going and going. And you don't have time for neighbors or friends or social interactions. Right. Which works out great for the government. A lot of this stuff seems to work out great to fracture a society. Yeah, it's really sad. So our next question is, how could someone as smart as O'Brien go along with Big Brother? Because it's not like O'Brien's stupid. No, he's not. He's a very clever guy. And right. uh, I think that's exactly why he goes along with Big Brother. You also right. got to know how to pick your battles. Mm. Winston and, did uh, not know how to pick his battles. Yeah, Win yeah, Winston is an excellent example of a kind of smart guy, but he didn't know how to pick his battles. Rob says power. That's a good point. Yes. Well, that too. That? Like, you know, there are plenty of very smart people who just get intoxicated with the power. Like, you get put in a position of such unique authority over people that can be, you know, you think you would not abuse that power, but how long would it take, right. you know, for you to get more casual with it, for you to, you know, pull some strings here and there for yourself, for a friend. Next thing you know, you're abusing the system just as bad as they are. Right. So it, I could definitely see that. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. It does. It does corrupt. Absolutely. And it, it feels insufficient that all Brian O'Brien wanted was power. Uh, and yeah, I, like you were that's, saying, that's kind of the criticism here. I feel like he should have had a deeper underlying <clears throat> motivation, but sometimes people are just evil. You know, yeah. real evil does exist in the world. Um, well, and he, uh, when he's talking about uh, the party slogan, freedom is slavery, and he mm -hmm. says, did you ever consider that that could be reversed and slavery is actually freedom? And so not only is he addicted to the power, but he actually thinks that him being such a major part will kind of, in the party, will kind of immortalize him throughout history because he goes on mm -hmm. to say, that, you know, if you become a part of this, if you, you know, work together, you're not you anymore. You're the party and the party right. will last forever. No matter what people like you do, the party will continue right. to exist. I'm paraphrasing, but right. yeah, and but he will there. effectively not only have that power, but he'll be immortalized as a piece of the party. So it's almost like he's no longer him. He's mm -hmm. a just an extension of the party. Right. You find when you find your identity not in yourself, not in your family, not in God, but in a yeah, well, system. The party's taken all that from everyone. Right, that's true. Yeah. Um, that's like that poet who was also imprisoned yes. for leaving God at the end of that poem. Yeah, it's like, and he was he, he was proud of his kid for turning right? him in. That's the crazy part. Yeah. Right? He was like, no, my kid did great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for yeah, turning no. me in, son. Good, good job turning me in. I think that's based on an actual event that happened in the Soviet Union, right? Uh, this kid. I want to say, say, yeah. 
I want to say they mentioned it in the Gulag Archipelago when I was listening to it. Like this 13-year-old kid turned his father in and then like his family beat him to death or something like that. And then they erected a statue in his honor because he was doing what the KGB wanted him to do. This all sounds very familiar. It might be. All right. So another question I have for y'all. Can we learn anything from Julia? I know Julia is supposed to be kind of like this vapid character Mm -hmm. out there for, um, you know, to have a good time basically. But is there anything we could learn from her? We can learn what not to do. What not to do. <laughs> um, hmm. I'll just okay. tell you one of the takeaways, I think. Yes, I think please. she. I think she represents the fact that you don't have to be a hyper-intellectual to rebel against the party, to rebel against the systems. I think so often in the conservative movement, we've created this image that you have to be a hyper-intellectual, that you have to have read all of these things and know all of these things. But you really don't. All you have to want is truth. And I think at the root of it, she did want truth. She was just kind of going about it the wrong way yeah. uh, and rebelling in the wrong way. But Yeah, I think that that's my problem with her and Winston is, uh, mm-hmm. well, Winston's trying to reach out and, like, you know, build a coalition with uh, O'Brien and whatnot. Like, he wants to get further right. than just her and, like, their little rebellion in there, which she's like, like we were talking about earlier, she's just content doing her thing. And I think that was, but he also didn't seem very ambitious in like tearing down. Like he would write down, down with big brother. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, what are you going to do beyond that? Right. <laughs> and you need to take this a little further, man. And that was my frustration with both of them was just like, okay, but what are we going to do to stop this guys? I know you'll probably die in the process, but you got to at least try. Right. I mean, what are you living for? Well, I guess, they have each other now. They have each so. which I again I don't think they were genuinely in love. I think yeah. it was a matter of they were getting something out of being with each other. Of course, the romantic relationship, but he and rebelling wanted, against the party. And rebelling against the party. That was the big thing. They were under a common union of rebelling against the party, which if they had had a kid in that situation, that probably wouldn't have been know. a very loving marriage. Well, it's like, what kind of rebellion is that if it's just going to die right there the second you two get snapped up? Right. Which is probably why they were so easily defeated. Maybe if they had been rooted in true love. Um, Not in like true love as in this magical love, but love founded in family and in God. Maybe they would have been able to withstand it, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, and also do something besides just go upstairs and hook up every five minutes. Again. (laughs) If that's your only rebellion, it's pretty easy to, uh, you know, get rid of you, sweep you under the rug. Right. I remember Winston, he mentions in the book that he has faith in the proles, that they'll eventually rise up. Mm-hmm. And O'Brien's like, please, those people, come on now. And he, I mean, he's kind of right. They're, they're fairly content with their little situation. They keep them just, right. just happy enough, just fed enough, just drunk enough. Right. To not really pay attention to what's going on. Which you could argue that's, again, what our society is trying to do. <laughs> yep. Okay. But. So last question of the night for everybody. Do you think with the hyper-politicization of everything in our society, we are moving towards Orwell's future or something else? 
I think it'll be very much like Orwell's future. Yeah. I can imagine I could imagine that it would be similar in a lot of ways, but maybe not others. Like uh I think it'll definitely be a lot more hedonistic. Mm. Like uh one of my big concerns is uh they're gonna abolish Christianity, but you'll be allowed to teach the state approved version of Christianity. So we're right. gonna like the seven deadly sins, can't have any of that. Gluttony, that's that's fat shaming. You know, <laughs> right. That's our favorite month. You can't mess with that. You know, lust, greed, envy, you know, all that's got to go. Wrath, we love our two minutes of hate. Get out of here with that. So you got to get rid of the seven deadly sins. You got to get rid of that, all that stuff it says about the gays, right? We can't have that. And just anything else that we like, you know? Yeah. Totally fine to, to have relations out of wedlock and whatnot. All that's fine. And just, yeah, the state approved version of Christianity, that'll be fine. That's a but, good point. Katie Zed says we're already there. It it kind of feels like it. it does uh, some differences, like you were mentioning, the hypersexualization. We're kind of seeing that edge of a brave new world, which we'll yeah. probably do on this podcast sometime soon, because it definitely needs to be talked about. Um, the overuse of drugs, sex, and alcohol are more prevalent in our society than it was in 1984. But I think the language control, for sure, like you're saying, they're changing. Obese is now a slur. Oh, what did it? Uh, who was it? The AP said you can't use the word the like the French or really? <laughs> yeah. Do you oh, I think that? didn't they have to like retract their own statement about that? Because they uh, had to retract their own statement. Let me see if I can yeah. pull that up because that was so funny. They were like, we didn't mean to offend any French people or whatever. And I was like, you guys <laughs> are tripping over yourselves, right? It was ridiculous. This is madness. That was so funny. Let me see. Here we go. Yeah. So the AP, we recommend avoiding general, often dehumanizing the labels, such as the poor, the mentally ill, the French, the disabled, (laughs) the college educated, instead using words such as people with mental illness and use these descriptions only when clearly relevant. Oh my gosh. You talk about Orwellian. Jeez. Can't use the word the anymore. Yeah. Whittle down the English language to just a couple words. And then, yeah, we'll be just like Orwell's 1984 and you won't be allowed to think. Right. That's that's another big big thing they're doing with uh, the whole censorship thing. They don't want people talking. And that's that's the central idea behind uh, Newspeak. Like, obviously Orwell didn't know all of this was going to be a thing all this podcasting social media whatnot but they're effectively they're trying to stop people from talking just in a different way from them what he's describing in the book although they're also adjusting our speech but a lot of it is just taking people's platforms away removing their ability to communicate with their friends and family shadow banning us because their ideas are dangerous That's a good point. Mr. Zed says, we are already on the way. People are giving away too much of their liberties. People are already being forced to bend their morals. We are already seeing words that have no real meaning, etc. So true. This is why uh, I I don't know if anyone's noticed, but I've been, uh, my account's been locked on Twitter. Mm. And uh, I haven't been able, I think it's been locked since beginning of this year or before 
Anyway, they want me to delete a tweet that I made. And uh, I was just like, no. I was like, if Good they have you. such a problem. And I'm just, I know I can delete it. I know a bunch of other people have deleted it. You know, it's right there. Every time I try to log in on my main account, it's like, hey, just delete this. You can come back on. But there's just something that just always stops me from doing it. I just hate the idea of them being like, no, we're not going to delete this. We want you to concede. We want, you to, we want you to, like, we're in the Soviet Union. We want you to sign the confession form. We want you, we want to, you to say two plus two equals five. Yeah. There was nothing wrong with what I said. That's right. But they had a problem with it. And now they want me to delete it and acknowledge that I was wrong and they were right. And then I can come back out and I just don't want to do it. And it just, yeah. it drives me. I know a bunch of people that I even respect have done it. I just, I haven't brought myself to be able to do it. Maybe I'll do it later on, but it, yeah, I just, uh, I don't like it. Which brings us to a good point. You might not be able to follow Matt on Twitter. Uh, you should if you can, but you can go to his YouTube channel. I dropped the link in the chat. Guys, go follow him. His hey, podcast hey. is great. No problem. All right, let's see what else folks are saying about this big question. I think it's a good one. Let's see. The way to freedom is gas stoves. We make enchiladas with them all the time. Did you see that? They were like, uh, who was it? Probably the World Economic Forum saying you can't use gas stoves because they're bad I heard for climate something change. About that, right? Yeah. Uh, crazy. See, what people can't use gas stoves now because no. why? It's bad for the because environment. Yep, yeah, bad for climate change because it uses natural gas, not change. like electric stoves that are coal powered. I'm not going to get on that tangent. Oh my gosh, <laughs> go, I could go for ages about how ridiculous the climate change. The electric. I just seen someone talking about the electric cars, and that stuff just drives me absolutely bonkers. Yeah, because and it is weird how like we've gotten so apathetic about the human rights abuses that we're just funding like we just don't mm -hmm. care like right. family guy makes jokes about how kids are abused in sweatshops in china and we're all like oh man that's me that's actually like, happening you're paying though. for it right what? We're that, all that phone you have in your pocket yeah yeah you're paying for your that electric car do you know how many kids died in a cobalt mine to make that happen i showed that cares. cobalt mine documentary in my class and that that really, I think, changed the way they thought about those phones they carry around. That's good. I'd like to believe it anyway. Can we not just, can we just get stuff that's not made with slave labor? I don't understand. Right. It's like, and, but we're going to sit here in our like castles adorned with all these uh, trinkets made right. from slavery. And then we're going to complain about the world being unfair. It's just, it's very frustrating. And it's part of why I'm like, why, why do we not care about anything? We should not be doing business with China or any of these no. places. Totally agree. I don't hear any politicians talking about that, though. Like, and they, they all want to get paid. That's and right. everyone's just following the money. Money is the root of all evil. Mm. All right. Rob says, not quite there yet, or your podcast wouldn't be allowed. Fair point. Heading in that direction, though. Yeah. So true. Yeah, we're well on our way. <laughs> Shadow ba ba banning, bleh, can't talk. Regular banning, I've responded on Twitter five times. That's a good point. Poor Katie has had to create five separate Twitter accounts at this point, which oh, I think wow. you have a separate Twitter account too. I do. It's, uh, I don't even know what it's called. It's something. <laughs> yeah, if you want to share that. Okay, uh, I'll have to. You... I wonder if I can do this. There you go. 
Uh, Well, thank you so much, guys, for joining us tonight. You can find everything to follow me and Matt down in the description below on YouTube. Please go support Matt. His work has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. It was was, uh, good fun. And uh, I like being able to talk about the dystopian hellscape that we're about to replicate here in the U.S. Here's hoping. The the book was a good read. And I thought it was very, like, Orwell really nailed just, like, the fear and the oppressiveness of, like, uh, an authoritarian regime. Like, it really felt just like, oh, my gosh, any second he's going to get snapped up. And you kind of had that sense of dread as you were going through each page of the book. You're just like, ah. Let me get him, get him. So that was really well done on his part. I liked that. It, it was a really good book, a really good read. Reading it, not not being in high school, I think was really beneficial uh, to yeah. reflect on it again as an adult. I learned so much more, and it was great getting to talk to you guys about it. Um, we are going to have. Uh, another podcast of course again next week so our book next week if you guys have ever read anything by Brandon Sanderson we are talking about Mistborn it is a high fantasy novel and uh, both Abby and PJ from Conspiracy Pilled will be joining me next week to talk about that book so I look forward to seeing everybody then and thanks again for joining us tonight peace out bye bye